Hello, <clears throat> I'm sorry, hello and welcome to the Backland Report. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. In other words, if it happened in golf, we have it for you. My name is Carlos Torres, and every week I'm alongside my co-host Fred Alvader. Fred, hi, how are you this week? Carlos, with the end of the LPGA and the Euro Tour seasons last week, all the major tour champions have been crowned, and the PGA Tour's 2020 season is already 25% complete. They even wrapped up the fall season for that. There were a couple of surprises last week, but before we get into the show and recap last week's action, I got a, uh, a very interesting email today, and I want to pass on some very big news in the world of golf that just happened. So let me read you this press release uh, from the LPGA and the latest European tour. It opens by, two of golf's most important stakeholders agreed to a long-term partnership to significantly grow awareness, sponsor support, and professional playing opportunities for women in Europe. Carlos, we've said for a long time the LPGA and the Ladies European Tour should combine, work together to grow the game in Europe because it seems to be floundering. So they announced today that they will unite in this joint venture to push women's professional golf to new heights in Europe and around the world. The combination of the Ladies European Tour's European expertise and relationships in the region with the LPGA's global strength and worldwide exposure plus their shared vision for the future of women's professional golf, provides the core ingredients to ignite a tour loaded with upside potential. Ladies European Tour players voted their support for the joint venture partnership on Tuesday during the LET's annual membership meeting in Spain. So they just, this just happened today, Carlos. I just got the email for it a little while ago from the LPGA. You know, uh, when we were talking to um, Dame Laura Davies uh, a month or so ago, she alluded to the fact, and we talked about the fact that right after the Solheim Cup, they didn't renew the president's um, um, you know, job. They, they, they let him go, and they hired this new, uh, brought this person back, actually. And so it looked at that time, something, there's something else driving this thing. And maybe he was fighting that merger or this joint venture or partnering up with the LBGA, and so Maybe the board members said, you know, we need to do this because the LET has been struggling, Carlos. We know it. They've been struggling mightily. They've been losing tournaments. They, you know, it's been tough on them. What they lose, eight tournaments this year, something like this. They got 20 scheduled for next year. But I'm guessing with the LPGA's help, they're going to start adding tournaments very soon. And I think this is really great for the LPGA and Ladies European Tour. But more importantly, for women's professional golf, in the world, internationally. I think this is a really good thing, Carlos. Well, this was a surprise to me. I, I was driving today from Austin back here home, so I arrived not long ago, so I missed all this news. It, to me, it's amazing, finally, that the Ladies European Tour finally has some a lifeline, let's call it that way. I don't know the details. I, uh, I'm just seeing here apparently the players voted overwhelming favor of the of a, what it's called a 50-50 proposal so we don't know the details of what will entail apparently michael one um <clears throat> told the lpga board that he believed it was the tourist responsibility to help boost uh, tour in europe 
Uh, while there will likely won't be an immediate pathway to the LPGA in terms of automatic cards like the Symmetra Tour, apparently he sees that day coming, and the initial move would provide access to the LPGA Q Series. Now, what that will entail, we also see that uh, earlier today it was announced that the tournament prize fund for the Andalusia Costa del Sol Open España will be doubled for 2020. And in addition, now the latest European Tour Order of Merit will be renamed to the Race to Costa del Sol with an initial bonus pool of 250,000 euros split between the top three finishers. Of course, this would be just the first step of what it will entail, I guess, to, to give that lifeline to what the European latest European Tour uh, will be, what schedule and what it will be, we don't know yet. All we know is that in 2008, and we have talked about this before, the LET had 28 tournaments. In 2017, the last time that they had a full schedule was 15 events. I mean, this year's schedule includes 20 events, but three of those are jointly sanctioned by the LPGA. So when compared to LET's current state, with how the LPGA looked, uh, in, uh, I mean, one, compare the LET's current state with how the LPGA looked in 2009 before he came aboard. So it's a challenge that he's taking, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Michael One uh, on the Par 5 News and him and the LPGA, but definitely it's a big challenge that he's taking. We know what he can do because we see we saw what he has done in the LPGA Tour, but this is a different monster. Uh, I guess once we know, uh, Fred, what the whole plan is behind this uh, joint venture, we'll get to know more about what is the plans to get them on board. But for what I see, if they still have a, an order of merit, that means there's going to be <clears throat> uh, tournaments being played there, and the LPGA might be overseeing them and helping them uh, maybe bring sponsors, uh, more more awareness and marketing to it. Uh, again, I don't have the details. We'll, we'll learn more about that. But uh, there will be a tour there. They will keep, keep playing. But, of course, the latest European tour now will be uh, with a joint venture with the LPGA. And Michael Wan, I can't wait to see what he brings to them. Yeah, I, I think Michael Wan is the wild card in this thing. I think he's the most important cog in this whole deal. He just got an extension from the LPGA, remember? They just extended his contract. We're going to talk about that. Um, I want to just a couple quotes here. Uh, the Ladies European Tour board chair, uh, Marta figueres Dotti says, two teams joining for one common purpose will create opportunities we simply could not have pursued on our own. At its foundation, this joint venture is about creating opportunities for our members to pursue their passion and their careers as professional athletes. It's just taken 60 days since we been, began working on this joint venture. So they began working on it right after the Solheim Cup, and that's when you know they let their they 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 let the other president go. And so um, just 60 days since they've been working on the joint venture, already seen a dramatic impact on our schedule and impact that will have positive results for virtually all of our LET members. And Michael Wan said. This is an exciting next step for the LPGA's mission to provide more opportunities for women in this game. Over the past 10 years, the LPGA has had tremendous success partnering with other golf stakeholders, including 
USGA, PGA Tour, European Tour, RNA, and the PGA of America to enhance opportunities for women worldwide. We are thrilled to deepen our relationship with the Ladies European Tour. So, uh, Carlos, I just see this as a good thing for everybody. Um, and this makes, I, I, you know, we've said it before on this show, and uh, this makes, uh, this just puts a, a big exclamation on the point that Michael Wan is the best sports administrator in the country. I mean, he took a product that was pretty much dead and almost in the ground, the LPGA Tour, when he took it over 10 years ago, and now it's thriving, um, growing. And now, by adding on the latest European tour, working with them, I think he can help to do the same thing for them. Because of his name and his connections, they're going to find more sponsors. Um, I, I, do you know what? I, you know, I could see Michael Wan running a world golf organization that oversees the European Tour men's, the Ladies European Tour, the LPGA, the PGA Tour, I could see him overseeing all of that, like a commissioner to the all four tours. And uh, this, i tell you what, this is a big deal, Carlos. I really think it's a big deal. I totally do, and I agree with you. We've always talked about <clears throat> Michael Wan and his, uh, let's say, magical touch. I mean, and I don't want to get into the, the news about his um, – a contract extension. So I'll, I'll leave it for now. Uh, as, yes, I agree with you. Amazing. I can't wait. Um, this year's schedule on the LET will include 20 tournaments. But if you see the disparity, uh, they'll play for almost $15 million this season. So roughly $10 million will come from those uh, three co-sanctioned tournaments that they have. In comparison, the LPGA competed for $70.2 million this past season. So, you know, there's a lot, a long way to go. I know that he said that um, they will be engaging country federations throughout Europe who have money to spend on women's sports. So that that would be just one of the paths. Uh, they need to make sure that that path can lead to Olympic athletes and that people that can live on the top of the World X World rankings, and they will know the path to the LPGA is required to do that. So can't wait to see the whole details and everything that will entail. Um, but it's great, great news for the LPGA and the Ladies European Tour. Definitely, I'm seeing here all the tweets from different uh, players like Asahara Munoz, who keeps uh, up membership on both the LPGA and the LET. And she said that it almost sounded too good to be true, but she was very excited about it. So definitely, we'll keep an, an eye on that and bring you all the latest news on it. Okay, now let's go to start, as usual, we start with what is the weekend backspin. We talk about what happened on the on the major tours during this past weekend. And we had two season ending championships. The first one was on the European tour where they played the DP World Tour Championship and Spaniard John Ram really cleaned up at the season ending tournament as a sublime birdie up. The last gave him one stroke victory to win the tournament and also the European first race to Dubai, which is the equivalent to the FedEx Cup here in the PGA Tour. This was the second time that Ram has won this tournament hosted at the Earth Course at the Jumeirah Golf Estates, and the first time he secured the European Tour's prestigious prize, which sees him follow in the footsteps of his idol, Sevi Ballesteros, who won the award six times. He said after the tournament that, just to be 
alongside a name like Sevi Ballesteros is just an honor for him. Of course, he idolized Sevi and was the man that he looked up to as he was growing, as many of the Spaniard players do. So it was a roller coaster day for him. He started the day with five birdies and seven holes to open up a six-shot lead. At that time, you say, okay, Ram, this is over. I mean, let's just turn off the TV. Let's not see any more. However, four bogeys on the next eight combined with what was, I, the word has to be scintillating stuff from Tommy Fleetwood, meant everything was going down to the wire. <laughs> it made it exciting because Fleetwood then birdied the 17th and 18 to tie with Fram, but in nerveless fashion, something I have not seen from Ram because we have seen that Ram is very emotional and he tends to carry his emotions up his sleeve and he pulled off an excellent up and down from a greenside bunker to secure that one-shot win. It was amazing. It was his fourth win of this year, 2019, second European Tour win in a row, with his last appearance coming at the Open de España, which he won by five shots. Now it sees him rise to the world number three, and with both victories, Ram took home the $3 million for the DP World Tour World Tool win and a further $2 million for winning the race to Dubai. Fred, the top 10 on the leaderboard were John Ram first, Tommy Flea with solo second, Mike Lorenzo Vera was solo third, Rory McIlroy gave a good shot at it. He was all the weekend there on the top. He finished solo fourth. Danny Willett continues his great year. He finished solo fifth. Tom Lewis. Thomas Peters and Sergio Garcia finished T6. Matthew Fitzpatrick, who had a chance to win the race to Dubai, finished in solo ninth. Then T10 were Andy Sullivan and Jason Scrivener. So the final standings in the top five were John Ram, Tommy Fleetwood. Bern Wiesberger dropped two spots. He couldn't make it. He was close uh, Thursday and Friday, but the weekend was not too good for him. Saw him go down and finish third. Shane Lowry was fourth, and Matthew Fitzpatrick finished fifth. Yeah, so all the top names, you know, they're they're struggling. The European Tour struggles to get the big names over there for their tournaments, but their final event of the year, the DP World Tour Championship, you got top names at the leaderboard. You got Rory McIlroy. You got Danny Willett, Sergio Garcia, Matt Fitzpatrick, Thomas Peters, and Mike Lorenzo Vera. Uh, wait a minute, who? Mike Lorenzo Vera, where did he come from? Well, he came from the southwest of France. He won twice on the Alps Tour. There, everybody plays on the Alps Tour, right? That's where you start. It's a minor European feeder tour. That gave him status on the Challenge Tour. He was even below the Challenge Tour, but he made it there in 2007. He posted eight top tens and won one event to gain the top spot on that tour, and then hit the European Tour in 2008. But not uh, not did not have much success from 2008 all the way up to 2015. Just kind of struggled along, uh, had a few bumps and different things. But in his first seven years on tour, he only made 36 cuts and 81 starts. But since 2015, he has 21 top tens and earned 4 million euro. In 2019, just this year, he had seven top tens, earned 1.6 million euro. And he earned 535000 for his third-place finish last week. He may, however, want to work on his lingual skills, and in particular, his descriptive adjectives. He used several F-bombs during the interviews last week and didn't even flinch. Evidently, those words are okay to use in public and on international TV, 
in France. Not going to play that well in the United States. Carlos, the other story I want to talk about from the uh, DP World Championship, uh, Robert, Mark, Robert McIntyre sewed up the Rookie of the Year honors on the European Tour. Uh, McIntyre is a 23-year-old from Scotland, was a very successful amateur golfer who attended McNeese State here in the United States, shot a final round 69 last weekend to finish at 6-under, good enough for his best to, to beat his nearest challenger, Kurt Kitayama from the United States who was really far down the leaderboard. His next goal, to move into the top 50 and qualify for the Ryder Cup. He thinks both are realistic and achievable. In 2019, you know, I, I said he had a very good year. You know, he's a, a, absolutely an excellent player. This may give him the confidence to do that. So, Carlos, here's another young guy to keep an eye on as we head into 2020. And uh, we have talked about him <clears throat> when Kieran was in – uh, he had been very high on Robert McIntyre, of course, from Scotland, and uh, he's had a very, very good year. He's a very good up-and-coming player that I think he does have a chance. Uh, still has long way, uh, a little bit of a long way to go to see if he can make the Ryder Cup, but hey, you never know. The way that he was playing, he certainly can make it in points if he keeps just uh, playing a little bit better and starts now next year, of course, we'll be playing on the bigger tournaments, which will bring him more points. So we'll definitely keep an eye on him. Uh, Robert McIntyre, great, great young player coming up from Scotland. Now, the other tour championship that was played this past weekend was on the LPGA Tour with the CME Group Tour Championship. And uh, Sagan Kim may not have a major championship, but we can say that Sunday she had a major payday because the 26-year-old from South Korea sank a 20-foot, 25-foot birdie putt on the 72nd hold of the tournament to win the largest check in women's golf history, taking the $1.5 million at the CME Group Tour Championship at Tiburon Golf Club. She came to the 18th with a two-shot lead over playing partner Nelly Corda, but she did not know that Charlie Hall had already finished at 17 under to tie her. All she was thinking was that what if Nelly made a birdie on number 18? She said, and you know, she had to try to make two putts. That was her mindset. And her caddy, Paul Fusco, wasn't going to let her know what was at stake. He knew she had to make it, otherwise she would have gone to a playoff, and he said that afterwards, he said that would have created too much pressure on her, and it was it was the right call because that, the way that she made it, she finally did it. She won for the 10th time in her career and the third time this season, and Charlie Hall, who won this tournament with a record 19 under three years ago, 2016, she shot a 66 that included birdies on the final three holes to get that 17 under to tie Kim. But Kim struck the putt and the ball fell into the left side of the cup and the rest was history. American Daniel King ranked into the top 10, into the top 10 also made a big move, sinking a 30-footer for Eagle on the number 17. To get to 16 under, she birdied five of her first nine holes to get to 14 under, but then slowed down a little bit on the back nine until the eagle. You can say maybe that Daniel Kang made things interesting down the stretch as well because her charge ultimately forced 
came to birdie at 18 for for the win. Kang tied for third with 21 year old uh, with the 21 year old Nelly Corda, who had an up and down final 10 holes with three birdies and three bogeys. Canadian Brooke Henderson, who has a residence there at Miramar Lakes, was fifth at 14 under. Defending champion Lexi Thompson and Jessica Corda, who's Nelly's older, older sister, and Australia Sue All tied for sixth. But Fred, it was all about Seyung Kim, who <laughs> that hold that clutch birdie put on the final hole at Tiburon Golf Clubs there in Naples and took home from Naples on Sunday was nearly three times what she claimed for her first two victories combined. It was her 10th LPGA career uh, victory and helped her give financial stability in this career for the foreseeable future. Oh, yeah, this is her first three-win season. Uh, she became the fourth Korean player to with at least 10 LPGA uh, career wins. She joined NB Park, Siri Pak, and G.I. Shin, um, and is the 31st player in LPGA history to cross the $8 million mark in career earnings. So she's been out there a while working at it. Uh, she finishes the year number two on the money list with $2.7 million. You know, it wasn't that long ago when it was big news when an LPGA Tour player earned over $1 million. Remember that, Carlos? When we first started doing this show, if, uh, if a tour player earned a $1 million in a year, that was, that was a big deal. Um, Kim also ends the year at number six in the Rolex rankings. Charlie Hall, she's going to head off to her honeymoon this week with a little more cash in her purse. She earned 480000 of her runner-up finish. She carded five birdies over final seven holes to be the leader in the clubhouse and force Seon Kim to make that 25-footer on the 18th green to win. As you mentioned, Daniel Kang and Nelly Korda tied for third. Uh, Kang ends the year at number four in the Rolex rankings. Brooke Henderson, solo fifth. Lexi, Jessica, and Sue O, T6. Jung Young Ko, pretty good season for her. She won the Vare, the money title. She joins Yanni Sang, Lori Chona, and Aria Jutanikarn as the only players to win the Player of the Year and the Bear Trophy and lead the tour in season earnings while also sitting first in the Rolex Women's World Golf Rankings. At the end of the year, the Koreans did have the top two players in the Rolex ranking, Jin Young Ko and Sonny Park, but three American players were in the top ten of the Rolex rankings. Nelly Korda is third, right behind Ko and Kim with Daniel Kang fourth and Lexi Thompson at 10th. So, Carlos, it looks maybe like American women's golf is on the rebound. We've got some new hope there. We've been talking about Nellie Corda being the one that we want to watch going forward. So, uh, Daniel Kang had a fantastic year. Lexi Thompson, not so much, but she's still at number 10 in the world. Um, Carlos, we always like to stress the charitable benefit from golf, and no one does getting better than the LPGA Tour. The CME Group Championship marked the end of the season-long CME Group Cares Challenge, score one for St. Jude. And this was a hole-in-one contest among the tour players all year long. Uh, CME Group donated $20,000 for each hole-in-one made on tour this year, with a minimum guaranteed was $500,000, but the women did a little bit better than that. They had 31 aces this year from 32 different players um, so a uh, total of $620,000 donated to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Um, that's, uh, well, you know, the, the cost, the average cost for any child that goes in there 
uh, is $425,000 for a pediatric cancer patient. And uh, so that's, you know, it takes about 1.2 or 1.3 uh, patients right there that they raise the money for. So congratulations, CME Group, for this. And, again, Carlos, is just one more example of golf really creating, really generating uh, dollars for charity. And every time we keep saying it, no one does it like golf. I mean, you can put all the other sports, <clears throat> the professional sports together. They don't come even close. But anyway, let's move on now to the PGA Tour, where just a few months ago, American Tyler Duncan was more concerned with keeping his PGA Tour card, let alone getting into the winner's circle for the first time. Back at the Corn Ferry Tour finals, he managed to secure – a tie fourth finish, and with that, time has flown by the 30-year-old that he was able to put together four days of quality golf and secure a victory at the RSM Classic. It was his first win in over 150 PGA Tour sanctioned starts after turning professional in 2012, which is a, a fact that was not lost on him. Duncan started the week 67-61, took the lead at the halfway point before quickly getting overtaken by Brendan Todd, who was going for his third PGA Tour win in a row. Again, Brendan, tell me the secret. We said what you're eating, exercising, whatever it is. I want it. <laughs> I mean, he's playing like a number one player in the world. However, Duncan persevered heading into the final round, shot an excellent 65 tie with Webb Simpson at 19 under, back down the 18th they went, and after both pairing it for the first time, a second excursion was necessary. It was here that Duncan distanced himself as he was able to birdie the 465-yard port, par four, and now for it, it's a life-changing victory for him as he has now secured his PGA Tour card through the end of the 2022 season, has secured spots in next year's Masters, PGA Championship, Players' Championship tournaments, along with the Century Tournament of Champions. The top 10 leaderboard looked like this. Tyler Duncan first, Webb Simpson solo second, Sebastian Munoz solo third, Brendan Todd solo fourth, <clears throat> Typher fifth, where Henrik Norlander, Scotty Scheffler, Kyung Hyun Lee, T8 were Danny McCarthy and DJ Strahan, and T10 were Will Gordon, Brian Stewart, Vaughn Taylor, and Alex Noren. Yeah, I watched the end of the uh, tournament uh, there on Sunday and watched the playoff. And at the end, uh, Duncan's wife came out on the green and said, now we have to change our travel plans to Hawaii because they're going to go a week earlier for the tournament champ. And she seemed pretty excited about that. Uh, 30-year-old Tyler Duncan's not a big guy. He's only 5'8". And uh, Webb Simpson was out driving by at least 25 yards. And Webb's not one of the longer guys on tour. So Duncan played his college golf at Purdue, only retained a spot on the PGA Tour by earning one of the 25 cards from the Corn Ferry Tour Final Series in the last event. But he nipped Webb Simpson in the playoff. The last event Duncan won was the 2011 Indiana Amateur. So it's been a while for him. In 2017-2018, he missed 14 cuts in 31 starts. Didn't do any better last year, making 12 cuts and 29 starts. And just one top 10, only earned 596000 ended up on the Corn Ferry Tour Finals to try to win back his playing privileges this year. 
He did that just that, but waited till the very last event in the championship. He was able to put together rounds of four rounds under par at Victoria National, and that's a very difficult golf course. We've seen that before. Uh, to finish T4 and secure his 2020 Tour card. Made four birdies over the last seven holes. Birdied both 17 and 18 to get to the clubhouse, tied with Simpson for the lead. Webb couldn't, uh, just couldn't get it going the last four or five holes there. He couldn't find any birdies in there. In 13 rounds this year, Duncan is ranked 206th in driving distance. That's pretty far down. 163rd in birdies and 217th in sand saves. Those numbers are not going to impress anyone, and you sure wouldn't think somebody with those numbers is going to win at a PGA Tour event. He's only so-so being 38th in driving accuracy at 69%, 51st in greens and regulation, and 47th in scoring average, 70.229. All that doesn't matter because last week he was finding fairways, hitting greens, and making putts to become a first-time winner on the PGA Tour. Now he's headed to the Tournament Champions. And why? The Masters, he went, you said all that stuff that went with all that. That's a good deal. With the success of Brendan Todd this year and now Tyler Duncan, uh, a couple of the others, uh, uh, Sebastian Munoz won and, and some other young guys won this year. Um, that's just the kind of stuff that makes golf so exciting, keeps everyone out there practicing, thinking maybe today on the range I'm going to find something that will make me play better and compete against the very best. Carlos also last week, uh, PGA Tour veteran Johnson Wagner set a, he tied a record, actually. He made his third career albatross on the PGA Tour. Wagner hit a three-wood for his second shot from 255 yards at the par 5 15th hole on the seaside course, and that tied him with Tim Petrovic for the most albatrosses on tour since 1983 when shot link uh, was started being used. So, um, you know what? Last event of the year, the RSM Classic, Davis Love was riding around the golf cart talking to everybody. He's going to start his broadcasting career next year with CBS. Um, you know, it looks like he's not going to be playing too much golf anymore. But, uh, you know, what, what did we say he had? This was his 786 start or something like that. Uh, that's, that's a bunch. Um, kudos to him on getting this tournament going. Sea Island is a beautiful place. He and his brother did a renovation to the golf course. It looked fantastic. Uh, so, uh, all in all, the RSM turned out to be a pretty good tournament for the last event of the year, Carlos. All right, Fred, the Champions Tour has the first leg of the Q School, so tell us what's going on there. 50 players advance from three locations to final stage Q School coming up here in another week or so. In California, Tong Chai Jai won. In Florida, Yarmo Sandlin. And in Texas, Marcus Melion. The uh, final stage will be held December 3rd through the 6th next week at TPC Scottsdale, where only five players out of the 50 will earn their cards and be fully extended for the 2020 season. It's the hardest tour to qualify for, Carlos. We talk about this all the time. Uh, Yarmo Sandlin uh, won five events on the European Tour in his regular career. He was Rookie of the Year on that tour in 1995. He carded rounds of 79, 69, 68, 64, 67 TPC Pampa Bay, won by nine shots. Uh, last year, he was T12 at the first stage and then finished 67th at Q School. Um, so just had limited, uh, limited success. Uh, the Florida qualifier included a few familiar names down there. Uh, six-time Euro- European Tour winner Thomas LeVay, former PGA Tour winners Guy Boros, John Inman, and Grant Waite. 
Um, also, um, you had uh, John Smoltz down there trying to qualify. He finished T54. Also, Gary Nicholas was T45. So they didn't quite uh, quite move, have enough to move on. The California Eternal was held at Prim Valley Golf Club, Lakes Course, 20 players advanced from a field of 64. As I mentioned, Tong Chai Dai Di, this is a guy we love to talk about from Thailand, former uh, a paratrooper, jumped from airplanes in the uh, Thailand uh, military. He's uh, been a great, great professional, traveled all over the world, playing on the European tour, played some events in the U.S. Always love to watch him. Very gritty, very, you know, just grinds it out. He's not that long, but uh, uh, I love to watch him play. He played 70 career events on the PGA Tour, totaled three top tens, um, 13 wins on the Asian Tour, second all-time. Also had eight wins on the European Tour. In Texas, eight players will advance from the 24 players. Um, and as I mentioned, uh, Marcus Melion uh, won from there. So, Carlos, that's pretty much it. You're going to have the final stage next week at TPC Scottsdale. You're going to have 50 guys teamed up for five spots. Tough tour to get on to. And with that, we wrap up our weekend backspin and now move on to the forecall where every week we tell you what's going to happen this next week. And now that the <clears throat> PGA Tour is taking a break, the LPGA Tour is done until next year. The European Tour finished, but they're starting already. And they start with the Alfred Dunhill Championship, not to be confused with the Alfred Dunhill Lynx <laughs> uh, championship, but this one is played at the Leopard Creek Country Club in Malalane, South Africa. It's for a purse of 1.5 million euros. The winner takes home 250,000. The defending champion will be David Lipsky. And this is just one week after John Rand won the season finale. Now the European Tour starts a new season in South Africa. The season was supposed to start with two events, but the Hong Kong Open co-sanctioned with the Asian Tour was postponed because of violent unrest in the city. So this field will include former Masters champion Charles Schwarzer, a four-time winner of this tournament. He has missed the last seven months recovering from a wrist injury. This is his first event since the RBC Heritage at Hilton Head a week after the Masters. The field also includes Eric Van Ruyen and Eddie Pepperell, both trying to finish the year in the top 50 to earn a trip to the Masters. Ernie Els is playing two weeks before he captains the international team in the President's Cup. He's a three-time winner of this event, including the first one that was part of the European Tour schedule in 1995. So, Fred, how about the start of the new European Tour season with the Alfred Dunhill Championship. Yeah, they don't take much of a break uh, over there on the European Tour. They just jump right back into it, uh, pretty much just like here in the United States now. When you wrap up the uh, the FedEx Cup, boom, the next week or a week or so later, they start playing the Safeway. They, they jump right into the fall season. You got a lot of young guys in this thing, uh, 21 of uh, the 28 players that earn cards at Q School, European Q School, will get their 2020 season underway in South Africa this week. Um, you've got uh, 14 of the 15 Challenge Tour graduates will also be in the field for the Alfred Dunhill Championship. South Africans have won this event 11 times since 1995. In the field, also, as you mentioned, uh, Ernie Els was the, uh, won the inaugural uh, tournament back in 1995. Brandon Stone is the most recent South African player to lift the 
title in uh, 2017. You mentioned Swartzel uh, hasn't played since April. He's going to give it a go. Uh, he's been playing in Florida. Um, he's still not 100%. He said the wrist was still a little bit sore after he played, but he was going to try and give it a go. I didn't know he was going to make it the whole thing, but uh, felt like he needed to go down there and at least give it a cry. In, in, in addition to the four wins he's had down there, he also has four runner-ups. So he really likes this golf course. He does well there. So if he can get it around at all, uh, he can make probably make some pretty good money. So, Carlos, that's all I got for the uh, for the European tour. Okay, and with with that, we wrap up the four call. All I want to say, there's one more tournament that you need to know if you are interested on. It's on the Japan Golf Tour. They're going to be playing the Casio World Open. And the defending champion there is none other than Ho-Sung Choi. So if you want some fun watching his worldwide <laughs> famous swing, just try to follow the Japan Golf Tour, the Casio World Open. Ho-Sung Choi will be there. He's the defending champion. With that, we wrap Carlos, up the fourth I, call. I, uh-huh. I forbid my golf students from watching his golf swing. They have to look away whenever he's on TV. They can't watch him. <laughs> Well, we know some people that are not going to be watching it. Those are your students. But, you know, he has his following and he'll have people. I'm just appealing to them, telling them when he's playing this weekend, defending champion, Cassia World Open. So, anyway, Fred, tell us about uh, Boeing. Yeah, it's cold and snowy up here in northern Michigan right now. I'm up here, Carlos. I've uh, been up here for a few days, staying through Thanksgiving before we go back home. Uh, but you know what? Boyne has some very hot deals awaiting golfers looking to plan their next buddy's trip, girls' golf getaway, or family vacation. Ten different golf courses at three locations make this a golfer's paradise. Play a different golf course every day, enjoy a delicious dining experience at any of their fabulous restaurants. And don't forget, there's also a world-class spa at each location to soothe those weary bones after a hard day on the course. So visit boyne.com, B-O-Y-N-E.com forward slash golf to get a quote for your summer golf vacation to beautiful Michigan in 2020. Carlos, back to you. All right, and now let's go to the Par 5 News. Every week we pick five pieces of news worth mentioning. And the first one, it's about the President's Cup. You know, Brooks Kepka announced on Wednesday that he dropped out of the 2019 President's Cup. Kepka, who finished first in point standings for the American team during the official qualifying period, underwent a painful knee procedure at the tour, after the Tour Championship in August, re-injured the knee at the CJ Cup in September after slipping on wet concrete, and uh, now he has said he had been making efforts in his recovery to be ready to compete at Royal Melbourne. However, the healing had not progressed as he had hoped. So Woods, who will be also playing for the U.S. team, uh, pick, and we already knew this, and we had commented about about it, that it was going to be Ricky Fowler, who is making his sixth uh, consecutive appearance in the team event, either Ryder Cup or President's Cup for the Americans. Uh, So Ricky has not played competitively since uh, Eastlake, in August, taking time off for his wedding and withdrawing from the Mayakoba after coming down with an illness on his honeymoon, uh, he went 3-0-1 at the 2017 President's Cup, compiling the second most point in the American steamroll victory and will be now there. 
I mean, we knew this. I think uh, it was just a formality that he was going to do that. But my only question is, did Tiger Woods pull the trigger too soon with his latest pick as a captain of the U.S. President's Cup team? I mean, it is a valid question, courtesy of Brendan Todd, who's in the pole position, was in the pole position to win a third consecutive event on the PGA Tour. I mean, he could have picked him up. He's the hottest player in the world right now, Fred. What What's all this about? Tell us. Yeah, that's way too big of a stage for Brendan Todd at this point. Let, just let him keep going along the way he's going. I, it's fun to watch him play. He's doing great. Uh, but to jump right into the President's Cup, I don't, I don't see that. That would not have been a good deal for him. Um, Ricky to replace Brooks, well, is that a good move? Uh, what about someone else? Well, I think Kevin Kisner would have been a much better choice. Uh, Ricky brings the star power and, you know, brings the – fans to watch on TV and all that good stuff. But uh, as far as a team guy that you need, I think Kevin Kisner would have been a much better choice myself. But Carlos, I, first of all, this was very, I, you know, we talked about this last Tuesday. It looked like to me that Brooks was going to be out because it was getting late and he's not been playing. Uh, he wasn't talking about playing in the hero or anything. And he had to play in that before he went down there, I would think. But first of all, it was very inconsiderate of him to wait till Wednesday last week to announce so that we couldn't have the official news on Tuesday. We just had to kind of guess on our show last week. So I, I'm a little miffed at Brooks for that. we gotta, we got to work that out. Um, you know, as we say, we did talk about it last week. Uh, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that Ricky would probably step in there and take Brooks's place. But, uh, Carlos, I like Kevin Kisner. Brendan Todd, nice player, doing good stuff. Not for the President's Cup, though. Well, Fowler was the expected choice. I mean, he's a force in the team room, solid, experienced player in the matches. Guy who finished 11th in the points race to be one of the eight automatic qualifiers. He was He's now Wood's fifth pick because earlier he selected himself, Tony Finau, Gary Woodland, and Patrick Reed. Uh, but Fowler hasn't played since August. He got married in October, got sickened uh, at the end of his honeymoon an intestinal bacterial infection. Um, yeah, there's questions about whether he's, he's well to play uh, here. I guess you like Kisner. I would have picked Jordan Speed. Definitely. Playing oh, better. no. No, Carlos. Yeah. No, yeah. no. He's playing, better. he's playing better than Kisner right now. Kisner has not played well. Well, that might be. I don't even remember when was the last time we talked about Kisner being even contending. And for match play, for for team play, come on! I mean, there's no, not even a question about who's better between Jordan Spieth and Kevin Kisner. It's not even a question. That you can ask a hundred a hundred professionals, and ninety nine will say Jordan Spieth. I mean, if, if not a hundred, that is not even. A I question. like Kevin Kisner. But anyway, I'm the one guy. I like Kevin Kisner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a good player for that, but he would have never been above uh, Jordan Spieth. No, I did not at all. But anyway, if he wanted somebody hot, I would have picked Brendan Todd. I mean, he's gone bonkers, man. That guy, he's posted uh, 16th and second rounds in the 60s. Folks, that's a whipping 68 under par on those 16. I know. 
Yeah, it, it's amazing the way that, that guy's flying. But hey, I, I know they wouldn't have picked him anyway. But anyway, <laughs> that's about uh, Bert Kepka. Uh Let's move on now to the next piece of news, which is about the LPGA that announced the 2020 uh, schedule with record price money and television hours. They also had announced the LPGA awards. I'm just going to talk about the the schedule that they announced on Friday. Features more price money and two new tournaments in Florida. The total purse right now is $5 million more, $5.1 million than last year, $75.1 million. There will be a 33-event season of the purses that have grown. The KPMG Women's PGA Championship made the largest jump in prize money. The purse for that event is $4.3 million, which is $450,000 more than what it was last year. The tour will be traveling to 11 countries in 2020. The two new events are the Gamebridge LPGA at Boca Rio Golf Club. That's January 23 to the 26th. And the Pelican Women's Championship presented by Tex Imaging at Pelican Golf Club, May 14 to the 17th. The Blue Bay LPGA is back on the calendar, bringing uh, the tour back to China. That event was not held this year because of its shift from late fall to the spring. The UL International Crown, uh, this is a, a year for the UL International Crown, too. Uh, this 2020 season will again culminate at the CME, CME Group Tour Championship at Ruben Golf Club. At the end of the season, there will also be more returning awards for the season-long competitions. The Aon Risk Reward Challenge with its uh, $1 million bonus and the leaders top 10 with $100,000. I mean, it'll be easier to watch all of this because 2020 will have the LPGA's most television hours ever. Globally, there will be 500 hours of coverage and seven events will air on network television. Also, the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo was a factor in building the schedule. There'll be a two-week break that begins after the event championship and concludes on July 26th. The first women's Olympic round will be played in August 5th. The Olympics closing ceremony is August 9, and the tour restarts the following weekend, August 13, with the Aberdeen Standard Investments Lady Scottish Open. So I'll leave it like that. Uh, The last qualifying event for the Olympics will be the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. Uh, Fred, how about the tour, the new um, schedule, and the LPGA Awards? Yeah, just the increased purses and uh, the the tournaments uh, just continues to grow. You know, we talked about the effect Michael Wan has had on tour. You know, when he took over, I mean, it was down to what like 23 uh, tournaments or something like that. They were and they were struggling. There was more that was going to go under. Um, so uh, he was just done a fantastic job. We we can't say that enough. And uh, this this uh, new schedule and and the purses setting all time highs for women's professional golf. So it's good stuff. Um, in the awards, he's in the awards that were given out uh, last week during the uh, CME Group Championship, Brooke Henderson received the 2019 Founders Award, which uh, it uh, given annually to an LPGA Tour member who, in opinion of the, the other players, best exemplifies the spirit, ideals, and values of the LPGA through her behavior and deeds. Um, former winners of this thing include uh, Kathy Whitworth, Nancy Lopez, Pat Bradley, Betsy King, Joy Inkster, Lorraine Coachella. Uh, Ju- uh, you know, like I say, I mean, it, it's a who's who that has won this thing. So uh, uh, really a big award for Brooke Henderson. Congratulations to her. 
Suzanne Pedersen, who retired in September, uh, won the um, was named the winner of the 2019 Heather Farr Perseverance Award uh, because she had come back from maternity, had not been playing that much, just played in the Solheim, played fantastic, made that winning putt, you know, it's storybook stuff, a uh, really good thing. And then they also recognized first-time winners on tour last year, Celine Boudier, uh, Sydney Clanton, Hannah Green, Cheyenne Knight, Bronte Law, and Zhang Zhang Lee Six. Uh, Lee Six, who was Rookie of the Year, received enthusiastic applause for her acceptance speech given in English. It brought the crowd to its feet. She doesn't speak English that well, but she really worked hard to, to get her speech down and really did a great job with it. In 2020, for the first time in history, they're going to compete for $75.1 million. Uh, they're going to have the fourth UL crown, 500 hours of television. Uh, it just shows the continued growth, Carlos. And uh, so, like I say, the, the, the LPGA Tour is growing. And we mentioned at the top of the show, now this new partnership with the Ladies European Tour. I see this as a, a, a good thing for everybody, for all women's golf uh, inclusive. So, uh, everything is on the upswing for in women's golf, Carlos. And if, if if you don't think that's going on, I mean, let's talk about Michael Watt. He doesn't intend to leave the LPGA anytime soon. With his contract set to expire late next year, he confirmed to, last Tuesday that he has signed a contract extension. LPGA President Vicky Guetzi Ackerman confirmed that there's a new deal in place didn't give any any details on it. She just said that it's a long-term contract and that he has a vision for the future and wants to stay. Juan is completing his 10th year as the LPGA's leader, the longest tenure of any commissioner in tour history, surpassing the seven-year reign of Ray Volpe, who held the post from 1975 to 82 as the LPGA's first commissioner. Juan became the tour's eighth commissioner on January 4, 2010, he originally signed a six-year extension in 2015 with that deal due to expire after next year's Olympic. But the tier was, the tour was foundering when one took over. I mean, his, after his predecessor, Caroline Bevins, was ousted by players who were weary of her heavy-handed tactics, alienating sponsors. With the double whammy of a sour economy, one inherited a tour struggling with just 23 events, and total price money of $40 million. And, uh, I mean, Julie Inkster and Helen Alfredson were in search committee that hired one now 10 years into his reign. He has rebuilt the LPGA with a healthy, diversified foundation, 33 events with more than $75 million in total price money. So, Fred, originally, the LPGA said to him, hey, how about four years? He said, now let's just do three. Uh, to make sure that, you know, it's good for both parts. Uh, now we're talking about he's going on 10 next year, and he's not going anywhere. He's even more energized than ever. Um, we talked about the extension now with Joe, the joint venture with the LET. I mean, I can see him going 10 more years and taking the women's uh, golf to places that we have never seen before, Fred. Yeah, um, this is one of the smartest moves in sports history, uh, the expen- extension of Mike Juan's contract. Uh, it just, it's just been 10 years, Carlos. Uh, as you mentioned, it, tournaments have increased from 23 to 33. 
purses have gone up over $30 million, and that ain't just due to inflation. That's Michael going out there and, and talking to sponsors, uh, scrounged up new business and new markets and new tournaments, and, um, you know, they got more. They got the, the great TV deal with Golf Channel, so a lot of their um, almost every tournament is on TV. Uh, they have over 500 hours of it on uh, coverage on TV. So uh, that's just a lot of hard work from the commissioner and his staff. Uh, we had uh, Michael told uh, Global Golf Post Steve Eubanks in an article in uh, this week's Global Golf Post, I think you know this isn't an act. I love this. I love these athletes. I love my teammates. And if they want me to continue being their head coach, I will keep coming in. I, um, we uh, taped a video interview with Michael. We've had him on the show a couple times. Always a great, great interview. Love to talk to him. He's always so upbeat. He, he just is on top of every issue. And uh, we had a great uh, video uh, interview with him down at the PGA show last January. Uh, anyone who wants to look that up, just go to uh, back9report.com or go to back9report TV on, um, on Roku and check that out. But uh, Michael's always a fantastic interview. We think the world of him. And I, the only thing that scares me, Carlos, even with the extensions, one of these days, some major corporation is going to come to him and offer him a truckload of money. Not that he isn't making great money with the LPGA, but I'm sure some major Fortune 500 company could come to him and offer him probably five times what he's making with the LPGA to come and run their company. I, I just, I, I, he's too good of a businessman not to do something like that. Uh, people have to be looking at him. They have to be, Carlos. Uh, I don't know. I think they will, but his heart, I think, is there in golf. I mean, he wrote uh, what was a, sounded like a battle cry letter right after the, the CME Group um, Tour Championship. Like, he's going, he's going nowhere. He was talking about his uh, vision for the future of golf and all that. I, I truly think his heart is set on this, at this stage in his career, on finalizing what he has set up. I think he'll see it through. And then after that, I think he might go into corporate or something else. But I, I don't see him going anywhere other than being the LPGA uh, commissioner. And Wow, like you said, we think the world of him. Um, he's the best commissioner of all the tours by far, by far. So congratulations to him. And like you said, it's the smartest move in business to keep this man over there. But I can't wait to see what he brings in the future. Okay, now we're going to talk about the Champions Tour Awards. We talk about the LPGA ones. Uh, but the Champions Tour Awards, uh, they had the PGA Tour annual tournament meetings uh, Wednesday, November 20th at TPC Sawgrass. And in all, five awards were presented to three tournaments and two individuals on the PGA Tour Champions. And we're not talking about players. It's a different thing. It was three tournaments and two individuals. So what was all this about, about the President's Award, the Players' Awards, the Sales Award, Volunteer of the Year, and the Bruno Award, Fred? Yeah, the President's Award goes to the best tournament. And so this year, the best tournament was deemed to be the American Family Insurance Championship up in Madison, Wisconsin, Steve Stricker's uh, tournament up there. Um, some of the points that, uh, that got them the, the, uh, this award, they had over 70,000 fans in attendance. They had a sold-out Toby Keith concert. 
They had a record $2.4 million going to charity uh, generated from that tournament, uh, going to 100 local charities, an estimated $14 million boost to the local economy, over 1,200 volunteers represented 15 different states. Um, that's, a, that's an amazing, 1,200 volunteers. So when you put on a major championship, you need around 1,800 to 2,000 volunteers. Uh, at the Marathon Classic, uh, Judd gets by with about 600 volunteers. Um, 1,200 volunteers, that's amazing. And 15 different states being represented, that's phenomenal. People travel. They make it their summer vacation uh, to sign up to, to volunteer to go to travel to a, a golf tournament someplace and spend a week volunteering at it. Uh, uh, people are so into that. Uh, it generated $3.9 million in on-site revenue from, for over 185 different sponsors. So uh, it was uh, it just uh, it, hit, it hit a lot of points, uh, the, uh, the American Family Insurance did to win the President's Award. The Players Award, um, this is a tournament that the players most enjoy going to. And this year it was given to the Dominion Energy Charity Classic that's held in Richmond, Virginia. Um, it's the fourth consecutive year as one of the, t- is one of the tour season-ending awards. So it's a very popular uh, tournament on tour. Um, the, uh, just, you know, it hit a lot of points with the players and they really enjoyed going with it. So the sales award was something kind of close here, the Ally Challenge uh, here in Grand Blanc, Michigan, not too far from where I'm at right now, uh, over by the Flint area, uh, recognized the sales award, presented annually to the Champions Tour event, which shows tremendous sales growth year over year. Really had a big jump. They had 16% increase this year uh, year over last year's revenue. Um, And they also... Uh, we're competing against a new PGA Tour event, the uh, the Rocket Mortgage Classic. It was held just down the road in Detroit, so uh, a few weeks before. So uh, good good for the Ally Challenge. They uh, they did a great job there. And then the Volunteer of the Year, and we talked about these volunteers traveling from all over. Uh, Kenneth uh, Gestring uh, volunteered at the Rapscam Systems Classic in Biloxi. He's done it for the last nine years, and. Uh, He's retired from uh, 26 years as a medic in the United States Air Force. Um, so he loves to go and uh, volunteer at the tournaments and, uh, and help out, and so he wins the award this year. Then the Bruno Award is given to a longtime PGA Tour staff member, Brian Goen, who uh, gets this award as, for someone who's judged to have made special and outstanding contributions to PGA Tour champions. Um, and so uh, he is the former vice president. So anyhow, these awards all go out to these guys. The Champions Tour have them. They go to some tournaments. They go to some individuals. Good stuff. Uh, congratulations, to everybody. Carlos? All right. And now to wrap up the part five, we're going to talk about something crazy. I mean, when you go out to play a round of golf with your buddies, the only thing you think you'll be dodging is golf balls flying from other players. Players on the Florida course had to dodge something far more dangerous. Golfers at the JW Marriott Turnberry Resort outside of Miami were sent scrambling this week due to gunshots that were surrounding on the course. According to reports, shots came flying by golfers' heads and into a nearby pond. Two of the golfers that were apparently affected by the gunshots were Nick and Kevin Jonas of the Jonas Brothers. But the craziest part of the story 
is that this isn't the first time that something like this has been reported at the resort. Apparently, some golfers had reported a similar incident to authorities earlier in the week, and there was another group two weeks ago that reported shots being fired into the nearby pond. According to the police, it was a BB gun and pellets that were being fired into the area. I mean, while not as dangerous as other weapons, this is still a concern that the police are taking seriously. They have determined that bullets are being fired from a high-rise in the area and believe the shooter is attempting to shoot ducks that are around the pond. So, Fred, the JW Marriott, uh, Miami Turnberry Resort and Spa, is the one that is near the airport, right where you go and uh, rent the cars. So if you're golfing in this area anytime soon, you may want to keep a lookout and keep your ears open. You know, hopefully in the coming week, days and weeks, the police will be able to get the bottom of this and put a stop to the shootings. But I know now, even if I'm going to go get the car, I, I, I don't know. I'll take my, my jacket, my safe jacket or something. But this is, this is just crazy. Well, your vest. Isn't golf supposed to be a gentlemanly game, peaceful and calm? Getting shot at would definitely ruin a pleasant round of golf. I, I'm sure it would. But <clears throat> as it turns out, it wasn't too serious. Um, you know, it sounds to me like uh, there's some kind of a teenage boy up there on one of the high-rises that uh, just enjoys uh, sitting out there shooting his pellet gun or something at uh, some of the ducks or geese that are around the pond. So uh, I'm sure they'll get to the bottom of it. Um, you know, and really, Carlos, when you boil it down, I really don't know what the problem is. You know, here in Ohio and in, in, in Michigan, we're allowed to shoot ducks and geese and the occasional pop star in season. So maybe it's because it wasn't in season, but oh well, there you go. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. That's just weird. But anyway, with that, we wrap up the Bar 5 News, and now we're going to move into the practice range every week. Fred and I pick a topic, and each one of us takes our own shots at it. This week is going to be a special one because we're going to talk about when it's too much, too much. We're going to talk about the struggle of the European tour to find, to draw top names, also about the LPGA featuring, you know, where are they in that attracting uh big-time sponsors and big-time money compared to the PGA Tour. But, Fred, take the first shot at this. Uh, the European Tour definitely doesn't have the same backing that um, the PGA Tour has. It's been that like that way for for a long time already. I mean, there was – I remember a few years back when there was even uh, talks about, oh, whether the PGA Tour – would be trying to to acquire the the European Tour, uh, try to see if they were could do like a merger. I mean, the European Tour really doesn't have the kind of capital backing that the American Tour has, and it's often difficult for European golfers to play consistently when purses don't compare with those of American tournaments. So, by joining with a more stable PGA Tour. Uh, the European Tour would have improved its ability to offer higher purses on a consistent basis, but we know that that's not the plan. That's never been really on on 
on the cards, and now with Keith Bailey, he's trying all that he can. He has the Rolex series uh, going on, but there's still long ways to go to try to match the PGA Tour's uh, money power. So how do you see this? I mean, we know that the PGA Tour does not have still yet the impact in Asia and other emerging markets that the European Tour has at this point, but they're starting to do that and get a greater footprint in Asia than it does now. And if they do, then the European Tour definitely wouldn't have the edge where they, the only edge that they have. So how about this? Uh, what's your take on it? Yeah, last week, uh, European Tour CEO Keith Pelley talked with media during the Dubai, uh, during the uh, DP World Championship. And he talked about purses, uh, field makeups, and what he has to do to get more top names to play on the European Tour events. Because as you know, uh, the big names, you know, they have to play 12 events on the European Tour to keep their card. But eight of those are the WGCs and the majors. So they really only need to play four events in Europe. Um, and so he wants to get them there more, but they're not going to play more than that. So he came up with the Rolex series uh, to offer more money in certain events, marquee events, to get the big-name players there. And so they do get better fields, but they still don't get the kind of fields that he's looking for. Um, just like this, uh, just like the final series, uh, you know, the, the, the final series is three of the Rolex series events. They have, you know, like $8 million purses. And uh, still the first two, a lot of the guys don't play. They don't bother. They got big enough. Uh, they're in the top 10, so they don't have to play the first two. They wait and play in the third. And a lot of guys didn't go down to South Africa. We saw a very weak field down there. And it was a, it was a, a uh, a race to Dubai final series event uh, with a big purse. Uh, so the point is, guys don't have to chase the money, Carlos. So even though the PGA Tour now, I mean, the purses in 2019 were total over 330 million plus. You throw in another 70 million from uh, from FedEx for all the bonuses and stuff. Um, so you get up around 400 million dollars. Um, the, the European Tour doesn't play for near that kind of money. It's still, but it's still pretty substantial. I mean, guys are playing for uh, in the Rolex Series. They're paying. They're playing for a million dollar first place checks. Um, but the money is not driving these guys. Uh, they gave an example. Pelle gave an example. He talked to uh, a young player who uh, just couldn't afford to play in the uh, final series event in Turkey. Uh, it just didn't make sense. He had some other tournaments lined up. And even though it was a big payout, he, he just felt he didn't need to go over there. So, um, and Kirian, you know, Kirian has talked to us that essentially on the European tour, there are two separate and distinct European tours. There's the eight Rolex series events with larger purses, which draw a few of the top names to fulfill their tournament, 12 tournament requirements, but more importantly, keep them eligible for Ryder Cup and the rest of the European tour schedule. So uh, with purses as low as a million dollars, that's less than a regular LPGA Tour event or a Champions Tour event or what a guy would be paid by winning a PGA Tour event alone for the first place check. So on one hand, the smaller events on the European Tour give less prominent players a chance to shine, similar to what kind of like the Fall Series does on the PGA Tour. 
The only thing is with the European tour, they're, they're kind of interspersed in throughout the year uh, because the European tour doesn't want to conflict with the big events uh, held here in the United States on certain weeks. So with so much money being handed out, the top players can be very picky with when and where they play. You know, we're seeing that uh, now with Brooks Kepka. you know, as, as he's become financially secure, he doesn't have to play in these smaller market events. He can build his schedule around the four majors, the WGCs, and just play in the big money stuff. The PJ Tour, with the majors and the WGCs, it's getting very close to an all-exempt tour with the four majors. So, you know, then you throw in the Memorial, the Palmer, and now the Genesis, uh, which is, you know, a Tiger's deal out there that's going to be on the same footing with the Memorial and the Palmer. And then the Hero World Challenge that gives uh, uh, World Golf World ranking points. So, um, I don't know, Carlos, my point I'm trying to get to here is that even though the PGA Tour is offering more and more money, the FedEx Cup, $15 million to, to win the FedEx Cup that Rory got this year. I mean, that's, that's just obscene. The, the money that the European Tour, you know, Keith Pelley tries, tries to keep making bigger purses at certain events to draw top names, but they still don't want to jump in the plane and run over there and play because it's just too much of a hassle, and it will maybe make them tired or take away from their performance in the big events here in the United States. So uh, the point, when is too much, too much? Are we going to reach a point where this money thing is just so blasé that nobody really cares? Uh, you, you take a guy like Tyler Duncan here this week who wins a PGA Tour event. You know, he gets a check for a million dollars. That's nice. But now his sponsor money goes up accordingly. He gets into uh, more no-cut events. He, he gets uh, uh, other enticements and, and sponsorship deals. So it's probably going to mean about a 7 or $8 or $10 million deal to him by winning this tournament. He's going to be set for the rest of his life. Uh, does he continue to grind it out and work hours and hours and hours on a range around the chipping green? Or does he spend a little bit more quality time with his family? Um, you know, those are the things that these guys work on all the time. So the money has just become like it's monopoly money. Uh, you know, it's, they just don't need it. So where are they going to play? Well, it's where they like the courses, where they feel they have a chance to win, and the biggest titles. So where do we go? The question is, what does the European Tour do to try and compete? Because I know... Keith Pelley has been doing a lot of changes there. Uh, it's It would be different situation, I guess, trying to get, uh, and again, we don't have all the details about how the LPGA uh, and the LET's 50-50 joint venture is going to work, but there's two, two points that I want to make to you and, and, and get your take on it, because one would be like, okay, let's see if the PGA Tour would took over both tours, I or or maybe a merger or the of the two tours, but I I don't know. To me, it would have drawbacks in this case uh, because one is the clear identity that each tour has. When the Ryder Cup is contested every two years, the European Tour represents the European golfers, while the PGA of America, a different enti entity from the PGA Tour, represents the American players. So if the PGA Tour would took over both tours in in Aris of trying to solve this issue and maybe 
have just one big tour. It would run the entire Ryder Cup. While the competition will still be Europe versus the U.S., to me, it might lack some of the passion that is currently is a big part of that event. I mean, all I can think is back to what happened when the NFL merged with the American Football League in 1970. The two sides kept their identities by calling themselves American Football Conference and National Football Conference. But the pride of being identified as the member of one league or the other gradually disappeared. Additionally, when the sport has two distinct organizations to push each other, advancements in the game are much likely to continue like we're seeing right now. I mean, American golfers put more effort into winning when they have been trounced in the Ryder Cup while Europeans push back that much harder if American golfers win the British Open. I mean, that kind of motivation could disappear if the PGA Tour would took over or merged with the European Tour. The other thing that we have heard, and we have talked about this as well, is could a world world tour really come to pass one day? And uh, Keith Pelley certainly seems to be leaning towards direct, that direction with things that we have heard from him in the past. We have heard that he, he stopped short of saying there will be one in the near future, but he, he said once that there was a real possibility as closer cooperation with the dominant PGA Tour in America is the way forward for the global game. And he mentioned, I remember, that he said that Jay and him, and referring to Jay Monahan, the CEO of the PGA Tour, uh, were talking about how they can work close together and that they are more colleagues than would have been the case with their predecessors. I mean, they still run their respective tours, they're both members organizations, but there needs to be somewhere down the line where they strategically align far better than what they're doing now. When he was asked, okay, does that mean that a world tour down the, uh, down the road is coming? He said, potentially, but let's start having good, positive conversations now. So the European tour struggles to compete but the behemoth that is really the PGA Tour on the other side of the Atlantic because of the money offered in America and because of so many of the world press players are based right there. So golf's ace listers overwhelmingly choose to play their, uh, their trade on the PGA Tour. And right now we saw what happened on the final, um, on the final of the, the playoffs of the race to Dubai they were not referring as the top 70 players on the first leg. They were referring to as the top 70 available players. And, yeah, you can say that, okay, uh, Tony Finau and uh, Billy Horschel and uh, Patrick Reed are barely would be considered European tour players. But still, like you were mentioned, there's a, a struggle, not only also the compact schedule, a lot of changes are being uh, thrown in that it's a different way of approaching for the European tour. Now, would a global tour be the answer? Would collaboration, joint ventures would be the answer? I don't know, but I think there are drawbacks towards maybe a joint venture or like the LPGA and the LET, but maybe the global tour would be something for it considering, worth considering, and I think, and we've been talking about this for years already here in the show, and, and it's a topic of conversation everywhere, 
And I remember when, when this was, we had uh, Steve Mona from the World uh, Organization that he said, yeah, that would be something that, that would be considered in the future. But what what's your take? I mean, what where do we go? How the European tour, how do we make it uh, be something that is not a problem and it's not a problem from the for the players or for the organization as well? You know, um, Greg Norman first came up with the idea of a world golf tour, and he wanted to get that started back in 1986, and he was actively working to get that done, and the PGA Tour brought him in and set him down and said, listen, you got to get this figured out here. You're not, you're not, we're not doing this. We're the PGA Tour. You play on the PGA Tour, you know, straighten up. And so then they came up with the World Golf Championships and kind of sold those as an international thing, although three of them are held in the United States. Um, now one's held in Mexico uh, and one's held in China. But uh, um, so that was kind of their, uh, uh, you know, the way to get Greg to calm down a little bit, their compromise. Um, and But as we go along, Carlos, this thing is just leaning more and more to a world tour. So this ladies' European tour thing, joint venture with the LBJ, might be a first step of something we might see in the men's game as well, where Europe struggles. Um, you know, I really like your idea. I, I, I hadn't thought about it that way, but you could have uh, the American golf tour and the international golf tour and uh, with tournaments and guys would slide back and forth and, and then at the end of the year, you kind of have like a Super Bowl kind of thing. So, you know, you, instead of having the FedEx Cup, you'd have the, the Super Bowl of golf. And can you imagine the money that might be uh, gathered up from around the world to support something like that? Um, also, you know, the PGA Tour wants to make its presence more known in international, uh, in different parts of the world. And uh, Europe is already doing that. So more more joint sanctioned events or more joint tournaments in different parts of the world might make sense with and uh, with bigger purses uh, to get guys to go and play. I mean, it's really uh, to get Tiger Woods to go out of the country. I mean, you got to make him the President's Cup captain to get him to go to Australia these days. Um, spend 20 hours on a plane. Can you imagine how hard that is on his back? Uh, plus, you get uh, that, that's that's got to be a tough gig for him. Um, I, I don't know, Carlos. I, I don't have the answer on this, and we've been talking about it now for like seven, eight years, and uh, I, I really don't know the answers to it. Uh, it is interesting to watch, and I know we're going to talk about it more in the future, but uh, this whole thing to me, the, 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 the PGA Tour has so much money that they're throwing around all the time. The European Tour struggles to get guys to play, even with just eight big events a year, they struggle getting really quality fields. Uh, and so the rest of their uh, 30-some tournaments kind of go lacking with challenge tour guys and, and uh, guys you've never really heard of. Um, maybe they've got, you know, 10 good quality guys, but the other uh, 110 guys in the field or 120, whatever, uh, you know, a barrel, a marginal uh, professional golfers at best. So, um, Pelly's in a tough spot. You know, we said that when he went over there. But, I mean, he seems to be a real aggressive guy, real innovative. He's tried all different kind of things, and we've talked about all the different tournaments that he's trying uh, to, to generate interest and create 
new new uh, fans and new eyeballs to come to the sport. But um, you know, and I'm sure I I think I, I think I heard a little bit of frustration uh, in uh, in his tone last week when he's saying, you know, like, what do I got to do to get these guys to come and play? We offer them more money. We have these big tournaments, and they still don't come. Even in the final series, we have these three great tournaments, and they don't come. I think he's getting a little bit frustrated, Carlos. He has to because he had all those ideas, and uh, he has done what he has set out to be. Okay, I'm going to bring more money. I'm going to try to get better conditions for the players, new different ideas of tournaments. He's even done the one uh, tournament where all women, uh, the seniors and men are playing, which I think is wonderful. Um, I think he's just setting up the stage to what's going to be next. And like you, I don't have the answer. I would love to see what would be a global wealth tour, but um, that's something that would take some time and some um, give and take from both tours, especially the PGA Tour, which doesn't have the need really to say, I don't need to do anything of that. I have the power. I have the money. I have everything going my way. Why should I uh, wield to you just to help you out? So that that's the big thing. They don't need to do anything. They have the money and they have everything they need. So uh, is the European Tour the one that is more in need uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, we can see something between both tours that would bring it up together and maybe, you know, work closely with different um, international organizations or more regionalized uh, tours that right now tour organizations to try to empower them and become more involved and get the money, like you were saying, around the world for this. So. Um, that's my final take on it. Any final things you want to say before we go to the final putts? No, I think we covered pretty much touched all the all the points that I wanted to touch, Carlos. All right. So on the final putts, final pieces of news that we bring to you, I'm going to talk to you about the RNA and the USGA that have announced changes to the World Amateur Golf Ranking Formula that will kick in in the first update in January 2020. The new formula will use what is being dubbed the Power Method to reshape the algorithm. The powered method was designed to place a greater emphasis on current form and more recent results. As part of that new system, every significant amateur event in the world will earn a power ranking based on the strength of field. Akin to you know how the official world golf ranking and Rolex rankings work. So the power ranking of an event's starting field will determine the ranking points available to the field this will apply to as many as 1,000 amateur events with players capable of earning world amateur golf ranking points from playing in professional events as well. So the power method can be applied to all competitive events, including stroke play, match play, and unique formats like the Stableford system. Additionally, the points will now be allocated by overall finish positions of players in the field. I mean, the current uh, system allocates points based on position after each round. So points will also be deprecated under the new system, which will be calculated based on a rolling 104-week system. That's uh, two years. The points earned in the last 52 weeks will count at full value with points from events deprecating in equal increments in weeks 53 to 104 after being earned. 
So that means that after 104 weeks, the points will no longer count towards a player's total. The divisor into points earned will be event-based, and the event tally will be aged out. So the new minimum divisors will be seven for women and eight for men, Fred. Uh, Carlos, uh, there's no official details, but the PGA Tour did adopt a modified pace of play rules for 2020. Uh, the new policy is aimed at avoiding situations where players take an inordinate amount of time to hit a shot like Bryson DeChambeau did at the Northern Trust in August. Plans to also empower tour officials to take action if a player is impacting pace of play. Uh, the revised, revised policy will go into effect the second quarter of 2020, not the first three months, but not until uh, April, so around Masters time. Um, also, Carlos, I don't know if, if you remember uh, Little Billy, um, who did some uh, some interviews with uh, European European tour players, uh, which were really pretty good uh, several years ago. Um, and so now he's like 12 years old, and he's trying to make a comeback as an interviewer. And so they he went down to Dubai, and he's trying to get these uh, European tour guys to. Uh, to uh, talk to him and it's all on video. And so they snub him and say, Hey, they don't have time to talk. Hey, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Thomas Bjorn's rude to him. Uh, uh, phys- uh, Ian Poulter physically turns him upside down, throws him out of a room. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood has to want to be paid. Uh, Danny Willard won't even acknowledge him. So it, it's a video. It's out there. Uh, if you go to European tour, you can find it. A uh, little Billy, he does a great job. He's a, he's a pretty smart little kid, and uh, they do a great job with it. Uh, so uh, if you want something funny, we'll look at look at that, Carlos. want to urge listeners to uh, check out Ohio Golf Journal. Uh, if you're thinking about a winter golf trip to Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, we have, uh, we have some great uh, tour golf travel information stories in there. We're going to continue to have those through the winter months. Uh, December, January, uh, we've got some writers from Florida that are, that are giving us articles and insight on some resorts, resorts and things that are in the south. So if we're up here in the north and we're, we're heading down to warmer weather, uh, look at Ohio Golf Journal. Check out some of our travel stuff uh, on some of those southern climate uh, places. I mentioned earlier, Back Nine Report TV has some great video. We've got some great interviews on there that we've taken over the last year. I've got about four or five more that are we're preparing right now to be coming up over the next uh, few weeks. And, um, Carlos, I'm even going to be heading to Mexico next week. So we're going to shoot some video down there and have that uh, on there in a few weeks as well. So um, Ohio Golf Journal, Michigan Golf Journal, Back Nine Report TV, uh, Back Nine Report Podcast, we got you covered. We got all the golf news, uh, travel, information, everything you need. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to us and reading our stuff. We really appreciate it. Have a have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, definitely. But if you just a reminder, if you're going south, down south for a warmer place to play golf, watch out on the JW Turnberry Miami. They're <laughs> shooting pellet. Don't get shot. Be careful. Don't get shot. Don't get shot. Don't get shot. So pack niners. <laughs> I, I tried to stay cool, but I couldn't. That wraps up on the back nine report. 
Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest in the world of golf. We didn't have a BAG. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Block Talk Radio. Every minister, check it out on the iTunes or tune in also on Roku TV. And if you haven't done so, hey, come on, follow the show. On Twitter, our ID is at Pac-9 Report with the number 9 in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres, along with Fred Vader. We wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night, everybody.